Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, Simone Lewis, Dr. Polly McGuigan, and Dr. James Bilson examine how the university aims to become a research centre of excellence in disability and Paralympic sport, ahead of and beyond London 2012. Good afternoon, everyone. For those who don't know me, and I do recognise a number of familiar faces in the audience, but uh, I'm Kevin Edge, Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the University. My great pleasure to uh, extend a very warm welcome to you this afternoon. It's a super turnout, so uh, that's very pleasing. But this is the latest in our series of showcase presentations, and this one has the theme of the Paralympic Legacy Research in Disability Sport and Exercise. And uh, we have uh, three presentations this afternoon, and uh, I'm confident this is going to be a a really uh, set of exciting presentations. I'm going to reserve questions right until the end because of the interlinked nature of the three presentations, but I'm hoping to leave about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, I'm familiar with uh, some of the things they're going to say, and I think there will be quite a lot of questions from the floor. I'm sure that you're well aware that uh, we have outstanding sports facilities uh, here at the University of Bath, uh, supported by a large group of dedicated staff. These facilities are, I believe, amongst the best universities in the country, and they support a a wide range of endeavours. This is embracing the sporting interests of the students and staff, providing a range of vocational programmes in sport, working in partnership with the national governing bodies across a range of sports, and supporting the training of elite athletes. What some of you may not be aware of is that the University of Bath was chosen to host Paralympics GB uh, for their training camps in preparation of Paralympics 2012. And uh, last year we had two very successful multi-sport camps held here. One just after Christmas, slightly uh, uh, disrupted by the snow, but we we managed. And then one in the summer, which uh, I I went along to, and uh, it was very lively and uh, I believe very well received. Uh, I'm delighted to recognise that we've got John Amos, uh, who's from the uh, Paralympics GB Board of Directors here, Paral- uh, British Paralympic Association, and uh, thank you very much for coming along. Alongside uh, our sports training village and the, the many activities which are going on there, we have excellent academic provision in sport and sports-related areas, covering, bo- covering both undergraduate and postgraduate programmes, and that's coupled with a significant research uh, expertise and activity. So as I explained, we have three presentations this afternoon interlinked, and uh, I'm going to uh, just tell you a little bit about the first speaker, who is Simone Lewis. She's a senior manager in our Department of Sports Development and Recreation. Simone graduated from Loughborough University with a Sports Science and Management degree, and then studied at Manchester Metropolitan University for a Master's in Sports Psychology. Subsequently, she held the post of Senior Lecturer in Sports Science at Coventry University, and then left to play professional volleyball in Belgium. On her return in 2002, she joined our Department of Sports Development and Recreation. She manages the Sports Science and Sports Medicine support services within the department, and oversees the development of all support services and applied research delivered from within our sports injury clinic 
and Human Performance Centre. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Let's check the technology. That's obviously the uh, title of, of my presentation. Um, as a little bit of scene setting to the concept of the centre of excellence around Paralympic sport, um, I just thought I'd start with a very brief overview of how sport is structured here and operated here at the university. Um, expanding a little bit on what Kevin has said already. So I'm based within our sports development department and fundamentally we deliver coaching to a range of athletes including Paralympic athletes, run the facilities, um, run education courses, manage and, and run a, a growing team of science and medicine staff and have a sports development arm as well which looks at grassroots and community. Obviously the university has a range of expertise in uh, re research and teaching and our support departments as well in terms of accommodation, catering, etc., which are fundamental to supporting elite athletes. Uh, we already work with a range of partners um, who work across the sports continuum and 18 months ago when Paralympics GB arrived at our door, uh, we just extended the offer to them in terms of, of working in Paralympic sports and hopefully uh, persuading them that our current expertise across Olympic and Commonwealth sports and professional sports would transfer to them. They bought it um, and they decided to come to Bath for their 2012 camps programme. So in terms of the current partnership, this is where we are with Paralympics GB from that 18-month uh, start point where we bid and were successful in, in hosting those camps. Um, we've run a number of successful camps, as Kevin has suggested, and I'd like to really just start to show you what that looks like um, in practice, because I can show you better than I can tell you. The partnership, the University of Bath staff are experiencing the settlement of facilities, but also delivering on the healthcare um, with strength and conditioning and various other support services there. Beyond that initial commitment for the camps was a, a, a partnership intent from day one. So out of the camps programme, we're building individual relationships with national governing bodies, and GB Botcher have chosen Bath as their home for their single sport camps programme. So or from day one, the university's been building these single sport relationships um, as well. In terms of... Other existing, other existing relationships, then clearly having a few technology issues. I do apologise. In, in terms of a broader partnership, we're also running something called a talent transition programme, which is um, something that was a concept by Paralympics GB, which was run last year from April to September in partnership with ourselves. And this was for a number of reasons. One, it gave us an opportunity to build our staff expertise in Paralympic sport at the talent level, but it was also helping to fill the gap in terms of the lack of talent that existed for some of the sports for 2012. So some of my staff and myself actually were delivering and we used some of the university software and educational, uh, the Moodle inter interface to support the athletes in between their face-to-face -face camps. Uh, lots of research done, 
lots more that could be done. Uh, so real opportunities there in terms of tracking that physical and psychological development of new athletes into sports. Um, but a very successful program, and we start a rerun this time around in a couple of weeks' time. The other commitment from the University and Paralympics GB was to develop staff expertise here at the university in, in Paralympic sport and disability sport per se. And that started with a Paralympics GB game staff development program, camp staff development program, and obviously our internal work around expertise um, in-house. So there's an intent to develop this partnership uh, to 2012 around the camps program and to 2014 possibly around the Winter Olympics and hopefully to 2016 and beyond. And really those ideas have morphed into the concept of the Centre of Excellence. So the need and opportunity has come partly because there's once in a lifetime opportunity of a home Olympic Games. Uh, never to be repeated for us, probably in our lifetime. Um, so a real capture in the moment. Um, and for the university, it's a real opportunity to then showcase our expertise and apply our expertise to Paralympic sport in the way we've applied it to Olympic uh, and Commonwealth sports previously. So the vision is quite simple, to create the UK's premier institution for Paralympic sport. Um, by creating a, a multifaceted centre of excellence. I think if the university does a good enough job in that, then Paralympics GB would endorse it, which gives it a great credibility. And then as a partnership, um, who knows where we may take um, a number of things in the future. Uh, so I'll talk a little bit more in detail about what the centre would do, um, but it's, it's uh, multifaceted, as, as I said. The aims of, of the project, therefore, to fundamentally ensure a legacy from the camps program. It would be a crime if 2012 came and went and Paralympic sport disappeared from Bath. Uh, it would also be a crime, I think, if all the university expertise wasn't applied in an integrated interdisciplinary manner to try and support the British team now and, and in the future. So that's the, the, the second aim of, of this broad concept. Um, and then I think across both Paralympics GB and the university, to create national and international partnerships within higher education, uh, UK and abroad, and within sports, and through the IPC, to maximise uh, what we know or don't know about Paralympic sports and apply university expertise to help solve problems that remain unanswered. So this is the, the early concept of, of what a uh, centre of excellence may look like. The fundamental thing is the athlete is in the centre, it's about improving the athlete performance. And the blue ones are not necessarily more important, but really a starting point. So without correct facilities, without correct equipment, then we can't cater for Paralympic and disability athletes here. And scholarships is in there because if the athletes can't afford to train here, can't afford to travel, and I can't afford to buy the services of physiotherapists and strength and conditioning coaches and the like. It doesn't matter how good we are, they won't come. So those three are there first, and I'll quickly run through that concept. Um, but ideally, the scholarships mean that athletes who don't normally come can come for camps or come on residency, and conceptually, somebody else is paying for that access and those services. That leads into enhanced national governing body relationships, which means then they come back and perhaps spend some of their own money. 
In terms of facility development, we have got some very good facilities. Some of them just need minor modifications in terms of accessibility, and they're suitable for a whole range of Paralympic sports. Uh, so that's the generic, and we had sort of a good conversation with John over lunch about the fitness suite, and minor modifications and major modifications required to cater for all needs of, of athletes. Other sports-specific areas, such as the pool, great pool, minor modifications needed, and it's fully accessible. Same applies to science and medicine facilities. We've got a great team of researchers, both applied uh, and, and um, theoretical in, in terms of research, but if athletes can't access the lab, then we can't deliver our services. So not particularly uh, over-exciting, but very practical in nature. Same with equipment, uh, as I've talked about the gym. Lots of science and medicine equipment available on the market specific to Paralympic athletes. We don't possess it right now. So we need to raise some funds, buy some equipment, and apply our expertise. And then, again, across sport, uh, lots of specific equipment that perhaps doesn't exist within the university. The yellows, as I said, just as important, but probably need to be done in a sort of second phase uh, once the athletes and the facilities and equipment are in place. Uh, so accommodation and catering, quite simply, adaptive and accessible accommodation available all year round because athletes train all year round and catering for the needs of elite athletes from a nutrition perspective. Science and medicine, we've got a good team. They need to learn about Paralympic and disability specific issues and then apply their knowledge to that. Research and innovation is where James will pick up later on, so I won't talk about that. And education and coach education is really just this broad concept that the university can provide education for Paralympic athletes, whether that's coaches or physios uh, or other practitioners, or can provide education about Paralympic sport. So it's just tweaking certain engineering courses, certain social science courses, certain science and medicine courses to include a module or an assignment on that, which is helpful in, in terms of the bigger picture. So as I was back through my slides. So this is how it would fit together. Uh, same model, just some conceptual things. There's a delivery arm to the center. Uh, in terms of, say, the service provision, but there's a dissemination arm as well. How do we co coordinate and how do we promote nationally or internationally? And starting off with the needs of elite athletes, how do we solve problems? How do we make them faster? How do we win more medals? When we've done that, how do we disseminate that information to the general sports population and possibly to the wider disabled non-sport population in terms of health? And the key thing about the centre conceptually is it's virtual and real in that it can be coordinating and disseminating uh, rather than physically everything happening in Bath. So this development process has started. Uh, the big question is always is around funding. Uh, and we've worked closely with Gavin and some colleagues uh, through the alumni uh, to, to tap into that process. And we're hoping that through the profile, Paralympics GB and the sports will open doors to commercial sponsors. But absolutely funding is key. Uh, the university and the Paralympics GB are not expecting to fund this concept. We need to raise funds. Hand in hand with that goes profiling marketing. Uh, and that will 
peak around 2012. So we've got 18 months to line things up and then showcase our concept, bring in some money, and then who knows where we may go in the future. So in terms of early work, this has been some uh, conceptual design, I would say, of how it may operate, uh, senior group, uh, operating a steering group, a more practical level of, of of day-to-day managers operating an operational group, and then some section leads, i.e. research, education, sports, etc. And at the moment, we've splintered off into development strands to work really through some of that detail. Why would the university do this? Then, uh, fairly self-explanatory in terms of applying all of our resources together and, and maximising that home game spotlight maximising cross-department working across the university, maximising the opportunity to have an increased profile, possibly leverage additional funding in through other avenues, and to uh, create a unique selling point for our courses and our research, positively enhance our student experience, and in association with Paralympics GB, uh, use their... Um, expertise to maximise that, that profile to help us be more efficient in the work we do in, in Paralympic sport. So to summarise, what we would do is improve the practice, whether that's coaching, physiotherapy uh, or strength and conditioning, by interfacing more with our academic colleagues in terms of research, interfacing and pro producing better education, feeding that into practice and to do that to the benefit of Paralympic sport in a way we've done that with Olympic and Commonwealth previously. Thank you very much. I will pass on to my colleague. Many thanks, Simone. That really does outline the, the vision. And our next two speakers really are taking us into uh, uh, an academic department and how that aligns with research interests harnessing the uh, research expertise we have within the university and what's the strategy. So uh, our next speaker is Polly McGuigan from the Department for Health. Polly graduated from the University of Bristol in 1997 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Zoology. Following her academic interests in vertebrate locomotion and her sporting interests in horses, she embarked upon a PhD at the Royal Veterinary College investigating the role of digital flexor muscles in equine locomotion. A postdoc position followed, and then a two-year fellowship at Harvard University investigating limb dynamics during steady and unsteady locomotion. In October 2005, she joined the University of Bath as a lecturer in biomechanics, where her research focuses on how the human neuromuscular system powers and controls different types of locomotion. She is Director of Studies for the University's Postgraduate Programme in Sports Physiotherapy. Thank you very much. I promise I'm not going to talk about animals. Um, so my role in, in this little um, trilogy of talks today is to talk about how we're going to be able to harness existing research expertise within the university to suit the needs of uh, research within disability sport and exercise. Um, Simone has talked a lot about the um, elite sport 
end of the centre of excellence. But in terms of the research needs within disability sport and exercise, they cover a real spectrum, right the way through from um, health considerations, so how we can um, prevent chronic diseases, right the way through to the elite end of sport performance. At the health end of this spectrum, um, there, there are questions along the lines of how can exercise improve chronic disease in disabled people? Um, the Chief Medical Officer's report um, in 2004 on health-related recommendations for levels of physical activity um, said that a good understanding of the health and performance benefits derived from physical activity by persons with disabilities is still limited due to a lack of research. He went on to say um, that the evidence that physical activity provides the general health and fitness benefits that are frequently reported in populations without these disabilities, for example, um, improvements in physical fitness, biomarkers of chronic diseases, uh, physical independence and health-related quality of life, is particularly limited in disabled people. going the wrong way, sorry. <laughs> um, at the other end of the spectrum is the elite sport end. So how can performance of our elite athlete be improved? There's large amounts of research on um, performance improvement, be that technical aspects of performance or physiological aspects or ergogenic aids in an able-bodied population. Um, but a lot of this, trans uh, this research won't necessarily immediately translate. For example, we know an awful lot about the mechanics of the sprint start. We know the aspects that need to be um, right in order to produce a lot of power during that sprint start. But translating that into an amputee population will be very different because the mechanics of the lower limb are very different. And in the middle of this spectrum, we have questions similar to sort of how can involvement in sport and exercise improve quality of life. So it's a whole spectrum that we need to cover. This spectrum actually fits very well onto existing research at the university. Um, the Sport, Health and Exercise Science Group, which sits within the Department for Health, um, along with their collaborators across the university, cover, their aim is to cover this spectrum right the way through from health, uh, improvement of chronic diseases, through to elite sport performance. Um, the group is a multidisciplinary group. It includes um, physiologists, biomechanists, psychologists, epidemiologists, um, and these are just a few examples of some of the projects that are currently going on within uh, the group. I'm going to talk briefly about each of these uh, and, and say maybe how they could translate into uh, a disability population. Um, to start with, the very well-established um, group who look at mechanisms by which physical activity protects against disease. Um, this is led by the physiologists within the Department for Health, Dylan Thompson, Keith Stokes and James Betts, uh, along with collaborators in pharmacy and pharmacology and biology and biochemistry, and external collaborators at the universities of Oxford, Bristol and Teesside. Their aim is to evaluate the influence of physical activity on metabolic regulation and biological markers of chronic disease, for example, cardiovascular disease and diabetes being the, the main big hitters in this area. Um, 
An example of uh, a recent study, uh, which was funded by the British Heart Foundation, looked at um, the benefits of exercise uh, in middle-aged men, who are um, traditionally the, the high-risk population for cardiovascular disease. They took two groups um, of middle-aged men who were relatively sedentary, um, and in one of these groups, they introduced a six-month exercise intervention, which was no mean feat for, for a, a research project. Um, the research intervention took place, uh, the exercise intervention took place within the sports training village using the Fittronics um, uh, exercise equipment. So the, the research team were able to monitor um, the levels of activity that their participants were actually doing, so they couldn't lie about it. Um, and then they took uh, various measures throughout the six months of uh, these, these biological markers of chronic disease. And they found that um, cholesterol and um, C-reactive protein, which are both very good markers of um, the, the processes by which plaque forms on blood vessels, which is, is a high risk factor um, for these conditions, they found that in the exercising group, those markers were significantly reduced. So exercise was improving their general health. Interestingly, it didn't result in very much weight loss. Uh, all the, the, the participants were a little bit disappointed that they didn't lose more weight than they thought they were going to. But despite not losing very much weight, they were all considered to be more healthy. <coughs> Work that's gone on, carried on from this, a, a current study is looking at kind of the other end of the spectrum. What happens if you take fit, healthy young men and you overfeed them? Um, J.P. Wallen, who is a PhD student within the uh, Department for Health, is doing this, again, very significant project where he's taking two groups of, of, of young active men and overfeeding them by 50% for a week. Uh, I can see in the audience we have a couple of people who've participated in this study, uh, and I think they would agree that actually it's quite hard work to eat 50% more than you normally eat. Um, and in these two groups, one group was restricted to only 4,000 steps of exercise per day, which me basically meant that they had to be um, sort of restricted to their offices on campus. Um, and the other group, again, restricted to 4,000 steps of general exercise, but were allowed to run on a treadmill for 30 minutes each day. The no exercise group saw huge increases in these markers of, uh, that are associated with um, uh, cardiovascular disease and health problems. And they saw a 100% increase in the uh, insulin response in response to sugar. Um, however, the group that were allowed to exercise as well didn't see any of these negative effects. Everybody put on weight, um, but they didn't see the, these negative effects due to this uh, 30 minutes of exercise a day. Now, the prevalence of risk factors for cardiovascular disease has been shown to be significantly higher in spinal cord injured people and amputees than in able-bodied populations. But research into the effects of exercise on these, on, these research, on these risk factors is actually very limited. There have been a few studies, um, but much more is needed. Um, we have the skills and the expertise. We would need some modifications in the lab facilities, um, but it's a very clear idea of how this uh, research could be translated into a disabled population. Um, moving on to the psychologists within our group, um, their main area of interest is motivation and health behaviour change. Um, 
we uh, that, and they're interested in how you can create a supportive environment um, to encourage physical activity in different populations. And they do this right the way through from um, uh, children, which they do in collaboration with Harry Daniels in education and schools within the Baines area, and this is funded by Baines, all the way through to retirement and then on to older age. And they've shown that, for example, in, when, when people retire and they have a, a quite a major life-changing um, uh, change in lifestyle, um, quality of life can diminish. You no longer have the, the challenges that work presented and therefore not so much sense of achievement. And it's been shown, or they've shown that the exercise can, can help in this by um, replacing those challenges in order that people can get a sense of achievement out of them. Now, Obviously, the life-changing experiences that happen as a result of a catastrophic injury are enormous. Um, and it's very interesting to find out how people respond to that. And I think there are some amazing examples of mental toughness in people who have responded to, to these injuries. Um, now, the same universal principles uh, of, of motivation and um, improving quality of life and well-being um, should apply, but it's not yet clear how those supportive environments um, can, can be uh, established, and, and that's yet to be studied. Moving on to my own area of research, um, I'm interested in adaptation of the neuromuscular system to training. Um, and along with colleagues within sports development and uh, some local keen professional um, rugby teams, um, we're interested in determining how muscle and tendon and the control of the musculoskeletal system um, adapt to training. Um, it's a very well-studied area, um, but a lot of the, the ways of monitoring this are actually quite invasive, or they rely on performance measures which, while they're very relevant to the sporting context, can be a little bit unreliable in terms of um, subject effort and things like that. So we're looking at using a, uh, a mixture of non-invasive objective measures of what's going on within the musculoskeletal system. Uh, on the, the left here, we have uh, an EMG trace, which is uh, electromyography, which measures the electrical activity within muscle. Uh, and from this, we're able to sort of dissect from that signal um, which types of mus muscle fibers are being activated, whether we're looking at slow muscle fibers, which are good at endurance, uh, or fast muscle fibers, which are important for power. The aim of training, especially in a power context, is to increase that number of, of fast muscle fibers being activated, uh, increase the proportion within that signal. Um, we're also interested in what's going on within the musculoskeletal system. Uh, this is an ultrasound image of um, muscle, and this, this thick white line here is the Achilles tendon. We're interested in adaptations of these over time in response to exercise. Uh, and these non-invasive ways of measuring these mechanical properties would be uh, immediately translatable into disabled populations. The reason that this needs to be studied in disabled populations is that the adaptation response may be very different. Um, neurological control of muscle is often disrupted in, in disabled populations, um, and therefore this adaptation to the whole neuromuscular system may well be very different. Um, moving on to James Bilson's area of research, uh, who will be talking to you next. Um, He's interested in the pathophysiology uh, of exertional heat illness. 
Um, he studies this in military populations, um, and a, a recent study that's looking um, at uh, the incidence of exertional heat illness in the paras parachute regiment's training um, regime at Katarik. Um They measure uh, the temperature of these um, soldiers while they're doing these amazingly um, physically demanding training uh, regimes using um, swallowable uh, temperature pills which then emit the, um, the, the data telemetrically. Um, and they found that while temperature is very important and all these people who have exertional heat illness episodes have a temperature above 39 degrees C, uh, actually there are other factors coming into play as well to do with immune function. Now, both paraplegic and tetraplegic individuals have impaired thermoregulatory function and therefore are more susceptible to exertional heat illness. So this is an example of research which would be a, immediately transferable, and B, incredibly important in disabled athletes, especially looking forward to uh, Rio in 2016. And finally, right at the elite end of the spectrum, um, Akisalo and colleagues within health, uh, sports development and UK athletics are interested in looking at um, the minute details of technique that make the difference between um, winning a gold medal and not, being, not winning any medal at all. Um, Aki's work uh, works specifically with elite athletes, um, and then we also have a number of other studies looking at more the physiological side of things and uh, response to ergogenic aids, etc. Now, um, this work on uh, elite aspects of technique, again, is immediately transferable into a disabled population. Um, this is a video of um, Ben Rushgrove um, on, on the track here, uh, and you can see that while um, his, his technique is slightly different from an able-bodied um, uh, person, the same uh, minute analysis of it can translate into performance benefits. At this elite end of the scale, it's likely that the solutions to help with performance are, are going to be individually tailored to the particular athletes. Uh, and this has already begun through the talent transition program um, that Simone was mentioning earlier in collaboration with the engineers at, um, at BIME. So where do we go from here? Um, recently, the uh, Faculty of Humanities and, and Social Sciences organized a uh, research sandpit event uh, on sports and technology. When this all came out, many of us weren't quite sure what a sandpit was. Um, but from the people who attended, it sounds as though it was quite good fun and very uh, uh, productive. Uh, and the aim was to engage an interdisciplinary mix of researchers from across the faculties uh, to explore development um, of technology in the area of sport. Um, a number of projects were presented uh, at the Sandpit, and two of these, which um, were interdisciplinary projects, uh, received some development funding. To talk about these briefly, uh, the first was iCoach, uh, which is a real-time individualized mon biological monitoring system for optimal function, um, which uses... Um, EEG, which is a measure of brain activity, um, various measures of physiological performance, including um, blood oxygen saturation, pulse rate, activity, temperature to, to measure energy expenditure, and they're then also measuring various hormones um, to look at um, from, from saliva, uh, from this um, 
uh, centre on a gum shield uh, to look at people's response to exercise. All this is going to be interpreted and fed back to the athlete straight away. And then the other project that received funding was BOLT, which I believe stands for Biomechanical Optimization of Locomotor Techniques, but Aki might correct me on that. Um, and this is using a, uh, an, an ultrasound-based system of sensors uh, on the foot of the athlete, which communicates with base stations around the track in order to instantaneously measure stride length and stride frequency and feed this back to the athlete via a signal in glasses uh, or an audio cue. These are both things that will be immediately transferable into uh, a disabled population. And then just to finish, um, going back to, to where Simone finished her presentation, um, hopefully this research that we would be able to establish could then be led back through education and into practice to help uh, improve the health and performance of disabled athletes. Thank you. Thanks, Polly. Um, I think that last section on the, uh, the sand pit always seems to me that there are many uh, exciting research developments which occur at the interface between the academic disciplines, and uh, I think what's emerged there are a number of projects which clearly uh, have brought together researchers from a wide range of departments across the universities. It's really pleasing to see that. The third and uh, final talk is from James Bilson, also from our Department for Health. James obtained his PhD in metabolic exercise phys physiology from Loughborough University. He joined the University of Bath in May 2008, following a 13-year career as a Ministry of Defence human scientist. He's a senior lecturer in human and exercise physiology, and he's director of studies for our postgraduate programme in sport and exercise medicine. His research focuses on various aspects of clinical exercise physiology, including musculoskeletal injury prevention and exercise rehabilitation. James. Thank you very much, um, Vice-Chancellor, uh, colleagues, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's a pleasure to be the final speaker uh, on this showcase lecture. Uh, I'm obviously under pressure now because... Uh, uh, knowing full well that my previous speakers would uh, overdo it. Uh, I've now got ten minutes to convince you that we can seamlessly take this very good opportunity which Simone's presented uh, and all of the knowledge and expertise from across campus, uh, particularly from our Sport Health and Exercise Science Group, uh, and deliver that uh, in a seamless uh, strategy for disability sport and exercise. Uh, so no pressure. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think what I'd like to do is just start by saying this is not just a single opportunity we have a range of opportunities which have come together at a very, very good time for us. Uh, about six months ago, I was approached by the Director of Defence Rehabilitation at Headley Court, uh, uh, and uh, he said to me, Help for Heroes have just built us a £10 million rehabilitation facility. Uh, uh, we now have wonderful laboratories and treatment rooms upstairs. We don't have a research team. And we would like you to work with us, employ this research team through the University of Bath, um, and have them based here working with our amputees during their rehabilitation program. Um, and we're forming a very good strategic partnership. There's some negotiating still to be done because I don't think Help for Heroes feel that the Ministry of Defence have uh, quite put in enough money yet. Um, but we're, we're hoping to receive a, a collaborative research grant with Defence Medical Services soon. 
So really that's the, that's the fit to train component and comes back very nicely uh, to the aspects which uh, Simone touched on, this talent transition program. We've got some very fit, healthy individuals here uh, who've uh, suffered catastrophic injury uh, and through exercise training they could easily become the Paralympians of the future. Um, uh, but there are lots of questions as to how we might achieve that. Um, obviously, there's this novel research requirement um, associated with Paralympic sport, uh, but also uh, we, we know because of the uh, increased risk of disease uh, among certain uh, disabled populations that we have to focus as well on physical activity, health aspects, and, and the fit-for-life approach. So it's very much a whole paradigm that we can bring together under one roof, and I think Polly showed quite nicely that we have the skills to, to do that uh, so my, my vision is uh, that we could establish a research centre for disability sport and exercise, conducting high-quality funded research, providing the evidence base and the advice and solutions to enhance the health and function of disabled people at all levels. Um, and I think this really is a, a unique opportunity and, 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 and we should grasp it, uh, but I would say that. Um, just to try and present that pictorially to you, um, I think there would always be three elements of it, but I think they're very closely connected and there's uh, a, a lot of benefit to, to each of the three groups by bringing these aspects together. I think the Paralympic sport research uh, under the uh, wider University of Bath Centre of Excellence for Paralympic Sport uh, is, is one element. We've obviously got the element with the rehabilitation of people who've suffered catastrophic injury, uh, particularly military personnel, and then we've got this physical activity and health component which applies uh, actually to all uh, of these populations. I can't help myself. Uh, when I left the Ministry of Defence, I was the Senior Scientific Advisor for the Army Recruiting and Training Division, and uh, part of my job was not only doing research, but also uh, to deliver uh, a research agenda in a very coherent manner. And the way we did that uh, was under uh, the guidance of a, a research steering group, um, uh, which in this case... Uh, could provide a forum for academic staff and leading practitioners to identify and prioritise the relevant research agenda, the research requirements, uh, and then put in place um, uh, mechanisms to support uh, and develop grant proposals and applications uh, for funding to take some of these ideas forward. The way we might achieve that is that senior members of this group uh, would interface uh, on a regular basis uh, with practitioners uh, and the wider uh, communities relevant to these three areas and bring the important questions to the table, ensuring that this is focused and achieves impact. Um, and also that the right research questions are coming to the table, but also the findings of that research are being taken back into those populations and informing practice. This is a proposal at the moment. This is not a definitive list, but it has been well informed by this recent Sampit event. Uh, individuals around campus... Uh, that have shown a commitment to sport and technology, um, who definitely have things to offer uh, from these various groups, which Polly's alluded to earlier. Um, and I'm sure there might be other people who are interested in joining such a group of academic representatives on a, uh, on a research steering group. We then have very good relationships uh, with various stakeholders in Paralympic sport, Defence Medical Services, Headley Court, um, various strength and conditioning coaches, uh, we're also very fortunate in that I work closely with Dr. Stuart Miller on our Sport and Exercise Medicine Programme, and Stuart is the English Institute of Sports lead for Paralympic sport. Um, so we, we, we have a lot of the right 
um, knowledge and skills uh, on hand, uh, much of it local. So what are the important themes and questions? We've already identified a lot of them, um, and I think some of them we could take forward quite readily. Um, within Paralympic sport uh, research at the elite end, uh, what is the incidence and severity of musculoskeletal injuries suffered by Paralympic athletes? A lot of this work has been done um, in able-bodied individuals, but very little has been done in Paralympic athletes. And really what that kind of work does is it tells you what are the important things that you should be focusing on in order to try and help these elite performers. <coughs> Various other questions, all of which are relevant, uh, and I think this one particularly is important as we start to get into the psychology and sociology of these issues. How can disabled athletes act as role models in the way that able-bodied elite athletes do um, uh, for the wider uh, disabled population? Uh, enhancing physical activity and health profiles, uh, possibly as a consequence. Talked a little bit about the exercise re rehabilitation research. Again, there are some themes here which uh, we could start work on al almost immediately and probably will uh, in, in many areas. Uh, just to try and bring this to life a little bit for you, I thought I'd show you uh, uh, a, a clip uh, from uh, one of the rheumatology and rehabilitation consultants at Headley Court. I'm going to cut that short because of time, uh, but I think it's easy to see from that short clip that there are physiological issues uh, uh, related to how we get these individuals back up and exercising um, so that they can benefit from the health uh, aspects related to physical activity. You can see that there are mechanical issues. At what point should they go on to various prosthetics so that they can start to function uh, optimally again? And there are lots of psychological issues. How do we maintain their motivation and reduce their anxieties associated with their new condition, uh, maintaining all the benefits which, uh, which could come? Um, so I, I, I'm particularly excited about bringing all of these themes together. And I think as Polly's already demonstrated, we already have exceptional strengths within the Sport Health and Exercise Science Group, particularly uh, with various collaborators around campus and elsewhere, um, in looking at the health benefits of physical activity in able-bodied people Let's take it to this population who in many ways are at greater risk and that is proven uh, within the epidemiological literature. Short term, we have some opportunities. Uh, I've had contact from the Brazilian Paralympic Research Centre who've uh, managed to uh, secure funding uh, for a PhD student to come to the UK for one year to continue some of her work on the epidemiology of injuries in, in disabled Paralympians. Um, uh, I'm also going to uh, try... Uh, and uh, secure uh, a graduate school uh, research studentship through the university and uh, uh, talking to uh, colleagues recently about a new doctoral training centre in health and wellbeing, there are opportunities there as well. Um, of course, postgraduate students can be encouraged to do research in this area on our sport and exercise medicine and sports physiotherapy programmes. We have 50 of these individuals each year doing research projects, um, a, a great opportunity uh, to, to at least get some pilot work off the ground. Uh, in addition, uh, our undergraduate students in sport and exercise science. Long term, uh, if we're serious about supporting uh, Paralympians, particularly in preparing uh, for Olympic Games in hot environments, uh, uh, such as Rio in 2016, uh, we really need to enhance our facilities uh, and get an environmental chamber, uh, which uh, many uh, sport and exercise science departments have got, but most don't have wheelchair access. Um, so, again, that's probably one of the reasons why not many people have tackled this agenda. Um, 
but also we'd need some slight modifications to some of our equipment uh, so that we could do uh, wheelchair and disabled uh, 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 population testing. Um, I've been talking to Gavin Maggs. I'm sure Gavin's uh, more popular than he's uh, ever been uh, right now um, about poss the possibility of applying for a Wolfson Foundation grant to, to upgrade some of our facilities and create this wonderful centre of excellence to deliver all of this. Um, so coming back to uh, something which uh, both of my colleagues touched on, I think it's very important that we engage with the practitioners, identify the right research questions, conduct this high-level descriptive research first, identify the appropriate themes, uh, look for the risk factors for various conditions among these various populations, conduct our controlled intervention studies, but let's make sure that it gets back and it informs practice and makes a difference to the lives of these people. Um, I'd just like to summarise final slide by saying, based on what uh, Simone's presented, I think there's a, a clear and immediate need to establish this novel and sustainable research centre associated with this Paralympic uh, sport uh, initiative. Uh, the research centre can readily draw upon existing expertise, which Polly's uh, shown very nicely, I think, uh, within the university. Uh, various departments and faculties could be involved in that. And I think there are some themes we can get off the ground quite quickly, and I think we just need to seek opportunities now to secure funding to, to make this happen and make it sustainable. Thank you very much.